of his salvation. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among them, and blessed the fruit of thy Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faith, for enkindle within us the fire of your divine love. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created. Let us pray. O God, and instruct the hearts of your faithful by light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by the same spirit may be truly wise, and never rejoice in his consolation to the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Lady Fatima, St. Joseph, Father and Terry, St. Cyril and Methodius, St. Valentine. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good evening. <clears throat> For the Hispanics, this is El Dia de los Enamorados y El Dia de la Amistad, right? See how we can translate that into English, no? The day of lovers and the day of friendship, right? El día de la amistad de los enamorados, no? No mercy? <laughs> I would like to give a, uh, a, a Catholic interpret, interpretation to that. And it's this. There's someone that loves you very, very, very much. And loves you more than you can even imagine. And I start off by quoting a passage from the diary of St. Faustina that some of you have great love for that diary. Yeah. Right, Irma? Yeah. Some of you have read and have a great devotion to Divine Mercy, which we promote in this parish thanks to Father Larry and his hard work. Is um, how do we measure? How do we measure we know that someone loves you? Can I tell you? By the willingness to suffer for the loved one. Right, Adriana? Yeah. That's how we measure love. The willingness to suffer for the loved one. And um, as soon as you hear that, it resonates as being true, right? Even non-believers can kind of resonate with someone who's willing to really suffer for me. Wow, that person really cares for me. Uh, when I was finishing my class today, going out the door to hear confessions, my helper, I've got two really good helpers uh, in the first year and the second year. This is the first year. Jeremy and Rosa, he was saying that when someone is dying, Eva Cholo, you were there, Mary, I think. What does he ask for? He wants the mother to be with him, even a Cholo, when he's dying. I never thought about that because he works with people that are dying um, working in emergency hospital care. Even the toughest guy in the world, you're going to be asked, he wants the mother to be him with him at his side when he's about to pass from this life to the next. 
maybe even his subconscious being aware that the mother maybe or even passed away. But to be present physically, if not physically, to be present um, at least spiritually. I never thought about it, but it, it just resonates as being so true. Right? Yeah. When Jesus was dying, Ariana, who was present? Do you think that brought Jesus consolation? Suffering because he saw her suffer, right? But that was probably his greatest consolation. Having his mother there at the foot of the cross, right? Now, let's take that one more step. Let's go a little bit deeper. Have any of you seen the movie of the Passion of the Christ with Mel Gibson? Powerful movie, isn't it? It's hard to watch it, especially the scourging which goes on. I think it went on about eight minutes. It wasn't just a minute, but went on and on and on and on. You're you're desiring it to be over, but he falls and he gets up for more, right? Why did he suffer that? For love of you. For love of you. Young man, you too. Mercy for you. Debbie for you, yeah. And Irma for you too. For me, that's interpretation of Valentine's Day. Is is the day of lovers? It's the day in which we see how much our Lord suffered for us. If you were the only person in the world, he would he would have gone through that for you. As well as Miley, yeah. Always on the Maria and Hannah too. And for mercy. I've been a priest for many years now. <clears throat> and if you ask me really what touches me most in my life as a Christian, Catholic, priest, and religious, is what I've told you right now. In fact, I know that Jesus died for me, suffering, shedding every drop of his blood for me. That's what touches me most. Above and beyond my college degrees, I'm a theologian, all that. Okay, who cares, really? That's where the rubber hits the road. So our faith has a lot of rules, but really it's a, it's a love affair. There's rules. But as a young priest, I'd always put the rules first and then what I'm saying second. Now as I'm getting older and mellowing out, I think a little bit. Suavizando comisanos, huh? <laughs> I recognize, let's first, let's first put the love of God first. Let's emphasize that. Right, Imelda? Let's put that first and then everything else will flow. 
Because to be able to, to, to obey the commandments, we have to be motivated not simply by legalism. Legalism will get us so far, but love has no limits. And no limits, right? So, when we're suffering, we all suffer in one way or another. I mean, we got a back problem, and we got a toothache, whatever it might be. When we're suffering, if we're suffering by, ourself, by ourselves, sometimes it's unsupportable. If we know that we're suffering with and for Christ, we can carry the cross. Right, Greg? Yeah. We know that our suffering has value. We're united to the cross of Christ. Some are like, you know, one of your daughter, John Eberetta Mola, how could that woman, one of your daughter, John, right? How could, how could that woman suffer so much? Not even wanting anesthesia. When the baby was coming and there was a tumor growing right, right next to the baby. And she worked up to the very, almost the very day that she brought birth to that child. How could she do it? Recognizing the love of God for her. No other reason. No masochism or... No. It's not going to get you... But this love of God that can, that can move the mountains. So that's my interpretation of St. Valentine's Day. I don't care so much about those uh, little cards with you know red hearts on them and seized ch- chocolate candy. Okay, you can eat that. But the love of Christ on the cross, that's where the rubber hits the road, huh? Okay, Claudia? So, I thought I'd give you a Catholic interpretation of St. Valentine's Day. I'm always trying to baptize these pagan cultures, huh? So we're going to start this work. This may may take a couple of uh, couple of weeks. It's a little bit longer, but we'll. Um, in all the classes I've given so far, we've only got through about half of it because I like to read and comment. And the the fill-ins are about 25 different fill-ins, which are short ones. But let's, let's maybe do. See how far we get today. And this is, once again, this is related to March 19th, the chastity ring. Everything is kind of building up in a crescendo to that day where we want to consecrate our children to the Immaculate Heart of Mary so that they can live uh, that very challenging virtue of chastity, which is very difficult. You know, we can't deny that, can we? No. Remember once reading uh, on chastity, and Thomas Aquinas said the virtue, this virtue would not be hard to live if we're not exposed to so many images. Think about that. You hear me? Well, back he lived 800 years ago. You didn't have this world of images. And if 
one day maybe one day you're going on vacation for a couple of days and you're just w- taking a walk in nature, you notice you don't have any of those temptations or, or very few. I don't know if you've ever done that. You go on vacation, you're taking a walk in nature, and you're not exposed to to Hollywood and California and the images and the phone. You say, "Wow, I haven't had I haven't had a bad thought in 48 hours." No. <laughs> so I remember reading that on Aquinas years ago. Yeah, if we're not exposed to these bad images, then the temptations are going to be less. Uh, my dad taught us many good proverbs. He would buy bits and pieces. Did you ever buy bits and pieces, any of you? He was a public speaker. Do you know what bits and pieces are? It's a little booklet where you have about, it come out um, once every other month, and it would have about uh, 100 proverbs in it. Because my dad was a public speaker. It would be the Bible, Confucius, Lao Tzu, Shakespeare, Milton, Byron, and because he would take these and then he would he'd give pu- he'd be giving cu- public talks, he'd pull out some of these phrases and incorporate them. And I was looking through on my shelf, I had about 50 of them, I haven't even opened them up yet, because <laughs> he subscribed those to me, but they're pretty good, uh, of Hemingway, Emerson, some of the great writers in American history. And one of the things he would say is, out of sight, out of mind. That's a good one. That's a good one. So out of sight, out of mind. So you're in an office, you're in an office where, where there's an attractive secretary. So you move from one office you have a really attractive secretary. You move out of us. They're just two muscled men. For men, that's not going to be a temptation at all. But with attractive secretary, so out of sight, out of mind. That's what it means. So you're not exposed to something that could provoke a bad thought. You're not going to be thinking about it. That's that's what the the proverb means. All right, so I'd like to read, and I, I want to stop, and maybe you can write something at the margin. I want to do a little bit more than what's, what I've simply written. I want to give you some, even some, hi, some history, with your permission. I'll give you a mini history class. So it says, Our Lady appeared in Fatima, Portugal, 1917, and she revealed important messages to the children, and to the whole world. Okay. Think about the parallel now. Your teenagers probably have not studied history. If we've gone to college, we study a little, you know, American history, maybe world history, uh, if you're studying liberal arts, okay? 1917 was in the middle of the, the middle, almost the end of the First World War, which was the most devastating war in the history of the world up to that time. You know, it, it, there was going to be millions of people that are going to die. And one of the big problems back then 
is that in, in Portugal, where this is happening, that these children in Portugal, not the ones we're going to be reading it, they didn't have their father. Why? Because he was killed in the war. So it was very common to have a family that didn't have the father. So the children were being brought up and raised by a mother. The mother might marry again, but maybe she wouldn't. Or a father, any doctors or nurses here that only had one leg. Really. Because it would be blown off by a bomb. And today, I'm not a doctor. I have a brother that's a doctor, but I know that you can, you can get a, bl- a replacement leg. What's the name of it? Prothesis or something? What is it called? Prosthetics. Prosthetics. I mean, and that can be done pretty well. And you can walk pretty well with that. So it was very common back then. We're talking about more than 100 years ago. People would be walking with one leg or they'd be dead. So that's the context. Now let me, let me weave this into a prophecy of Our Lady Fatima. Okay, 1917, Our Lady is going to appear to these four little children, Jacinta, Francisco, and Lucia, six times. And the year before, the garden angel is going to appear three times, at least three times. Remember, 1916? They have the apparition of the garden angel Fatima. And I, I, I told the kids this afternoon and, and more and more that I reflect upon it the more I see how powerful is this prophecy of a lady of Fatima she made a lot of prophecies and when Mary makes a prophecy it's going to happen <laughs> if I make it yeah, don't, don't count on it no. <laughs> probably won't happen no. <laughs> but if our lady makes it it's going to happen okay, in 1917 you got Europe and these countries are these countries are their first world, okay, as well as the United States. In other words, these are first world countries that are among the most the richest in the world. England is is pretty well off. Okay, they're going to be going through the economic depression, if you know anything about that. 1928 to 31, when you had the Cristeros in Mexico. So if you're Mexican, the Cristeros in Mexico, we had the economic depression in this country, okay. And you also had the Masons that Colby was fighting against, as well as the Mexican president, Calles and Obregón. They're, ma- they're, they're, they're Masons and atheists. Yeah, 26 to about 31, those five years. Okay, so Italy, Spain, okay, the, the po- about the poorest country in Europe was Portugal. Okay, they were poor in comparison to, to Italy and Germany and Austria. But a very poor country in Eastern Europe was Russia. Russia was very poor. But also Russia, Russia had was a had a very cap, you know Russian Orthodox, very strong uh, uh, roots. And the difference between them and the Catholic Church is that many of the Russian Orthodox their sacraments are valid, are valid, but they, they cut off from Rome. But their sacraments are considered to be valid, valid communion, confirmation, as well as baptism. 
So very deep Christian roots. Um, if you study literature, you have some literary scholars here, no? You have a man named Leo Tolstoy. You've probably heard of him. Turgenev, okay? Turgenev, Leo Tolstoy. These are some of the greatest writers in the history of the world. Tolstoy is probably about the best. Then another one that I, I read some of his writing, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Okay? He died about five years ago. But Tolstoy would probably be the greatest Russian writer. So Russia, Russia, deep Christian roots, like the Philippines, deep Christian roots. 1917, Our Lady made a prophecy that Russia would spread her errors throughout the whole world. What the heck is this? For me, that's fascinating. Russia was nothing. Like a back, maybe a back country, maybe in Africa somewhere. Very underdeveloped. You got Christian roots, but very poor. Compare Russia to the United States back then, it's like an ant against an elephant. Russia is going to spread her errors throughout the whole world if we don't pray the rosary, we keep sinning. And, and you, say, you, you look at it, who cares? What, what is Russia? Russia doesn't have any nuclear bombs. They don't have any strong tanks. Their navy and their army is very weak. But this is fascinating. So what happens? You have, you've heard of the Bolshevik Revolution. You've heard of that, right? The Menshevik Revolution. You know what that is? It's a revolution. It was a communist revolution in Russia that will turn Russia into a communist country. And they will take the writings of a man whose name is Karl Marx, who will write Das Kapital, which will which he'll, he'll be quoting another author, Religion is the Opium of the People. Right? And this poor country will become a world power in a matter of a couple of decades. So Christianity is overthrown in Russia in a matter of a couple of decades. And then, spreading their errors throughout the whole world. Okay, what is the biggest, what is the most, the country that has most people in the world right now? India and China are probably about the same, right? I think it's 1.2 billion. I'm not too good at stats, but it's, right. It's more than a billion. India and China. What is China? It's a communist country. Wow. Isn't that incredible? Here you have the, the most numerous country in the world, China, and where did China eventually get their communism? It eventually came from Russia. What did that lady say? Russia would spread her errors throughout the whole world. Oh, I'm building up to that. That's what, that's what I was telling your kids today. We, we're on that way. Uh, we arrived at, at being China, not yet, but it could be in the future, not to scare you or your kids. But let's, let's go where it is, okay? 
Vietnam. You're Vietnamese, right? Half and half. How about Korea? No Koreans here. Half and half, right? Philippines, not yet. Thanks be to God. Well, how about how about Cuba? So they got ahead this one. Russians were able to track down this one guy. His name is Fidel Castro, right? You've heard of him? Who died, what, four years ago? No. Cuba. Communists for the past 60 years. Okay, where did Mother Teresa come from? Albania. Mother Teresa was born in Albania. Did you know that? Which, not that I'm an expert on the topic that I'm talking about now, but that used to be the strongest communist country in the world, which there was the most oppression. Maybe it's become more lenient, but it's had a history of violent persecution against Catholics. And here, politically, okay, we're heading towards socialism. Whether you like it or not, we're heading towards socialism. And what's the difference between socialism and communism? Not very much. What are they teaching in colleges today? You've got, commun- you've got communists in colleges. If not explicit, at least implicit, Embracing communist, communistic ideas. So I see, I see this, this, Our Lady prophesied this, my friends, a hundred and five years ago. 1917, right? So, to make a long story short, we should try to listen to the Word of God, but also these are approved Marian apparitions. If I were giving you, I'm not going to be giving anything that, these are Fatima, Lourdes, and Guadalupe, they're approved by the Catholic Church. If you don't want to give credence to it, you you can still be good Catholic, but John Paul II and the Pope say, it's not wise to just discard these, these approved apparitions. So I thought, I thought I'd give you a little, little uh, course on church and world history to set, kind of set the stage. Very interesting. Okay. So let's read a little bit more. Even after 1917, she revealed other serious but extremely important messages that we should take to heart now. In fact, our eternal salvation could depend on listening attentively, heeding dutifully, and obeying promptly these messages. Three of these poignant messages relate to the sixth and ninth commandments. Thou shalt, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery, which is the ninth, sixth commandment. Thou shalt not cover your neighbor's wife, 
which is the ninth commandment. Did any of you go to Mass on Sunday by chance? None of you went to the 12 noon Mass, did you? Okay, so you didn't hear my homily. Okay. <laughs> I let the bomb... Well, I, I let the bomb drop, no? Uh, were you paying attention to the gospel on Sunday or did you zone out? That is one of the most challenging, difficult gospel, gospel passages in the whole Bible. You don't even remember what it was, no? It's from the very, it's from the very heart of the Sermon on the Mount. So what we're doing now is we're reading through the Gospel of Matthew and we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is would be the, the, the most prolonged teaching of Jesus. So you're going to see other Gospels Jesus is preaching and teaching and then he's doing a miracle. Then he's preaching and then he's casting out a devil. He's preaching and then he's raising someone from the dead. Well, this is five, three long chapters. Five, six, and seven. Starting with the Beatitudes. That was two weeks ago. Remember that? Do any of you remember the Gospel uh, the week before last Sunday? None of you have memory. Okay. okay. Well, well, Jesus utilizes three similes or metaphors comparing us to, to three different things. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Remember that? And then he also says that you are the salt of the earth, remember? Then he says that you are, a, a, you are like a city on the top of a hill. Those are the three images he gave uh, nine days ago. Then Jesus speaks about, you've heard it say, you shall not kill. But I tell you, Remember? Whoever gets angry at his brother and calls him raka, which means you fool, is is risking what? The fires of Gehenna. Whew. I mean, I, I, I'm reading this. I'm trembling in my boots. You insult someone. You insult someone using. Such a word, we could be jeopardizing our salvation. Then I'll skip the most challenging part. The end, he says, You've heard it say, You shall not make oaths. But I tell you, when you speak, say yes, yes, and no, no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. Wow. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Every word that you say, you're going to be judged on that. Doesn't that scare you? <laughs> it's kind of scary, isn't it? You see, we have a tendency to, to kind of downplay the gospel. We place kind of marshmallow on top of it. We try to dilute it. But we, 
we should try to really live out the gospel in its in its fullness. Then Jesus said this. I, I've skipped all over the all over the bomb. You've heard it said. Are you listening? You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Ready? But I tell you, whoever looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Did you hear that? Wow. I told this story. You've heard of Padre Pio? Padre Pio? Have you heard of Padre Pio? Padre Pio had special gifts. He could he could read minds. If you didn't say something in confession, he said, by the way, you forgot to say that you missed Mass two times within the past two months. He could raise people from the dead. He had this stigmata. Stigmata for 50 years. And many miracles, but related to the gospel, was this. A blind man comes to Padre Pio. And Padre Pio says, what would you like? And the man said this. I want to see. Padre Pio said, I can restore your sight, but if you, your sight is restored, you will lose your soul for all eternity. You choose. Guess what he said? He said, I prefer to be blind so that I can see God in heaven for all eternity. Father Peel story. What do you think? Good choice? So I was setting the groundwork for my bomb. Ready? Why is it that our young adults, they went to First Communion here, they were altar servers, they made their confirmation, and I think we've got about the best program in L.A. here, both in confirmation and First Communion. We've got great teachers. And very few have priests that are actually teaching, right? So I think we got about the best here in St. Peter's Chanel. Why is it that so many young adults no longer practice their faith? Because they're addicted to, to pornography. Dead silence for one minute. I wonder if it's sinking. 
I'm the only one that preaches it. Maybe twice a year, but I know the effect. So I'm not, I'm not a biological father. Obviously, I'm not a biological father. But if I had young adults, some of you maybe do, what I would do is I would take them apart. Maybe Sunday, take them one at a time if you got more than one. I may go out and maybe have a nice meal with them. I'd take a long walk in the park for an hour and a half and I would talk about that. Hey, let's don't beat around the bush. Okay, you're the target. Here's the target. I'm hitting the bullseye, and the people knew that. I'm hitting the bullseye. Don't beat around the bush. And then, uh, then trying to give encouragement. I gave in the homily a little bit longer. I gave them a little bit of what is called moral theology. But no, moral theology that everyone can understand. It's called the principle of graduality. You know what that is? Principle of graduality, which is very encouraging. And it's this. Okay, your son... Your son is 30. He hasn't come to church for 10 years. He's probably had that, he's had that addiction for more than 10 years. Okay, you, you convince him, you convince him to come back to church to a confession. Okay? So he goes to confession And he's been viewing pornography for 12 years, twice a day. And the addiction, the, the addiction, according to some, some of the um, studies I've heard, is more powerful than addiction to drugs. Okay? More powerful than addiction to drugs is powerful, but this grips you. Physically, psychologically, more, it grips you. And you become, a, you become an addict to that. And someone becomes an addict to drugs. So what happens in the case of most of them is that they're just, just going to, as we say in language, sports line, throw the towel in and give up. I can't overcome it. So just give up. Okay, so your son comes... Father, I spoke with my dad, and he convicted me. And I went to enter into, miracle of the Sinesis, I went to enter in Lent, I went to try to come back. Great, 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 great. Or a major victory. Okay, I haven't come to church 10 years, and I've been viewing pornography twice a day for 12 years. Almost always. Great. Absolution. Jury bars, small penance. Small penance. Small. I'll do the rest. I'll do the rest. Okay? You do, do a little bit, I'll do the rest. 
I'll offer a mass for you. I'll pray a rosary, a little bit of penance. I'll, I'll do the rest, okay? You just say one Hail Mary. Just, okay, do that. Okay? We'll say it together if you want. <laughs> so he comes out. It's a Saturday. He receives communion. 24 hours clean. Miracle. Monday, up to midday, nothing. The afternoon, falls into desolation. Know what that is, desolation? Falls. Then Tuesday through Saturday, falling twice a day. What do we have there? If you look, 24 hours free of that, that's the first time in 12 years. Huge. And then another 12 hours, you've got got 36 hours. Then he gave up prayer, fell into desolation, fall, 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 fall. So you convince him to come back again. And he goes to Mass. There's one day of retreat in Alhambra. Zoom. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, nothing. Then pride comes before the fall. You read that one? Hey, pretty good. Uh-uh. Then the following, he falls three times because of the pride. Not twice, but three times. Then he decides after five days, well, I'm going to go back. Then he goes back and he prays and fasts and says three rosaries. Says He uh, goes to Mass. Five days without falling. Then two days in a row, two and three times. You understand where I'm heading? It is, as, as a pre, I'm, I've been a priest and confessor for hey, almost 37 years, so I, I know a little bit about what I'm talking about. No? I'm not the new guy on the block. No? I, I, know, I know how weak I am. I know how weak everyone is. So the fact that I can help him to take baby steps, you know, just you know, un pasito, just baby steps, and as long as there's goodwill, you know what that is, goodwill. As long as as long as you're trying, that's good enough. As long as there's goodwill, I'm, I'm going to try. And as a priest and confessor for many years. When you have people like that that keep trying, it's embarrassing to maybe come back. It's embarrassing. And the devil will say, oh no, you know, it's, uh, here we go again. For me, the fact that the person is coming back and trying, I really admire the humility of that person. I really admire how humble, because it takes humility, right? And honestly, I think God is very pleased with a person like that that's trying to overcome these bad habits. You hear me? So, um, some of you, I don't, I don't know all of you. You might have, you might have uh, children or nephews or or young adults or maybe they're even 18 or 19. You may try to remember this talk I'm giving today. 
And if I were the biological father, I just, you know, I, I would, you got five kids, you know, have a nice long talk with each and every one of them, talk about the topic in a very gentle way, address it, say, look, you know, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm your father. I love you. I want to help you. If you're, if you're falling, God loves you. Okay, this is the confirmation class, right? I, do the, I, I don't do the confirmation mass too often. I think I've done it two, two or three times since the beginning of the year. Um, but I'm, um, I'm highly perceptive. Okay? I, I pick up more than you're aware of. No? Highly perceptive. One thing I pick up, I pick up the vibes, las ondas in the mass. I'm not Padre Pio, but I pick up a lot. And if, if, if in the Mass, they come up to me, I'm giving a communion, and they do this. What that means? What does that mean? It means that they, they just want a blessing, right? If I were the father of that child, yep, let's try to go to confession within a week. Now you can't, you know, you 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 can't force even teenagers. You you, you can't force them, but you can say, for example, you go and you go, okay, and then Ariana doesn't want to go, and then Miley goes. Well, mom and dad go, Miley one. Maybe I should go. You see, by the power of example, because you really can't, you really can't force her. That would be an invalid confession. It's like I force you to marry her. I don't really want it. I'll do it anyway. That'd be invalid marriage, right? So the sacraments have to be received. They have to be received freely. But I, I don't know. I, the three weeks ago, I talked about protecting children. You want to try? You want to try to bond with your kids? Right? You want to try to... We're not going to have these sexual abuses if, if your kids love God, they know that you love them, then if they've got a problem, they're going to open up, they're going to trust in you. But I'm from the old school. I mean, you're, you're a father, you've got three or four kids, five kids, you shouldn't have any free time. You should be spending time with those kids. You hear me? And you know... The American society, we try to buy their love with buying them gifts. They want you more than your money. You hear me? You, you, you might think, okay, I've got to buy them a new phone, a new bike, a new baseball bat. Okay, you know, you, you might think that this is going to be um, bonding with them. Okay, a little bit. But you're taking a walk in the park with your little daughter and saying, Mia Morsita, you're the best in the world. She's never going to forget that in your whole life. You hear me? They're craving for you more than than for your wallet. In the mom, it's the mom. It's almost natural, but but for dad, we we got to break through this machismo. We got to break through it. And that will, I think, that will resolve all the problems with lesbianism, homosexuality, transgenderism, all this baloney. If there's a lot of love in the family from God and you're showing love to your wife and your kids, this this baloney of transgenderism is out the window. 
You believe it? It's out the window. Why, 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 why try to become a, a boy if you're a girl? It's, it's, it's stupid. It's diabolic. Mom loves dad. Dad loves mom. They love God. They're going to be growing up in a very healthy, wholesome, emotionally stable environment. Right? You're loving God, loving each other is the best way to save your kids. Amen? Amen. Yes. Are you listening? Are you listening to me? It's true. Uh, on, on, on Sunday, I, I wanted to listen to it again. Uh, I wanted to listen to uh, Harry Chafin, The Cat in the Cradle. I mentioned that. Try to, try, try to listen to it and check out the lyrics. It's, it's classical rock and roll. I don't want to scandalize you, but it's classical rock and roll music of, the, of about 1970. But I think it's one of the best songs that have come out in the past 50 years. You've heard it, right? He's, and a, he's, he's, a, he's a great singer. He's, a great, he's got a great voice. He, he plays the guitar really well. And basically, this is what it is. His son is born, and I watched the YouTube. I saw his son. His name is Joshua, by the way. They showed his son. So this is not. This is this is real. And he's born, his son, but he, he's away on a trip. He's not there. He's not there when the son's born. He was working, but he probably could have been there. And then he's he's ten years old. And his son says, Dad, why don't you, I got a bat and a glove here, why don't we go out and play baseball? No, I'm too busy now. Then he's graduating from high school, and the son wants the father to be there, he's not there. Then he's graduating from college, and the father says, let's go out. He says, no, Dad, give me the keys, give me the keys, please, but you have to go out. And he gets married, and the fa- he gets married, and his son has children. Then he calls his son to connect with him. And his son says, Sorry, Dad, the kids have the flu. I'm too busy now. So it's a, it's a vicious circle that's perpetuating itself. Then they found out, ironically, they, they showed his wife um, saying that he had this dream and then after the dream, the vision, he actually composed it. And it said, in the prime of his life, at 37, he was killed in a car accident. Did you know that? Wow. How ironic, huh? Because really, the song was, he was convicting himself of not being there present, and there he is, dying at 37 years old. Meaning what? He's never going to be able to share the joy of his family there's a lot to meditate on that, isn't there? A lot. A lot to meditate upon. So, um, 
in that in that um, in that uh, the the gospel for Sunday point they're trying to make related also to your kids in March 19th is that we have to pray that these teenagers, your sons and daughters, you want to pray for them that they're willing to accept the challenge to live out the virtue of chastity which is very difficult in the world today. That they're going to have to accept the the challenge because they're going to have a lot of temptations. Things are not getting better. Things are getting worse. So it's, you're, the, you're the good shepherds to the sheep. It's up to you to do all you possibly can to protect them and to pray for them. But they're going to have to arrive at a certain point where they're going to have to decide for themselves. In the class I said today, my helpers, uh, Jeremy started off by saying, look, you know, you have to go to Mass on Sunday. Now, this is a good group of people, but some of our confirmation students, they don't go to Mass on Sunday. The Mass on Sunday is the most important part of confirmation. The confirmation class is important, but Mass on Sunday is by far the most important. You tell me, should a, a confirmation student be confirmed if he or she does not go to Mass on Sunday? Adiyan, what do you think? Oh, it's a, it's a no-brainer. You want to be confirmed and you're not doing the very heart of Catholicism, going to Mass and receiving communion? I mean, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. Where are we going to get the grace to live out the grace of confirmation if we don't receive the Eucharist? The Eucharist is where we get the grace to overcome all evils. Some of you go to daily Mass. Where do you get your strength from? Where do you get your strength from? You get it from Christ. Where is Christ present? He's present in the Holy Eucharist. And we'll arrive at this later on in our talks. St. John Bosco worked with teenage boys that were going through puberty. The same age as your, your, your boys and girls. Do you think they had temptations 150 years ago? Just as powerfully as your kids, less images, but they had powerful temptation. What did John Bosco do? Three things. What did he say? Our Lady help of Christians. Pray the rosary. Second, you see pictures of John Bosco. I have pictures of John Bosco in my confessional. Or there he is here in confessions and a line of these kids waiting to go to confession. He would confess these kids often. But then John Bosco would send them to communion and this was before St. Pope Pius X. What did St. Pope, Pope Pius X do? He allowed for little children to receive communion. So this is 40 years before Pius X. He was already promoting frequent communion. Right before, on the, right before Pius X. And Pius X allowed those who uh, reached the age of reason, seven years old, to receive Holy Communion. So, hitting the nail on the head, if we want to live this, you've got to love Mary. You've got to love Mary. You, you have to have recourse to the sacramental life, right? You've got to love Mary. And you have to 
love the Eucharist, and have to, we have to recognize that we're all sinners, right? We're all sinners. Amen? Okay, so um, let's just uh, read a little bit more, and then we can follow up next week. Also, the serious warnings of Our Lady made clear reference to one of the sacraments, sacrament holy matrimony. This is one of the two sacraments of service. Matrimony is designed for the couple to be at the service of both human life and the formation and sustenance of the family. The other sacrament of service is that of holy orders of the priests are designed as an offer, offering of service to the church. Okay, I would, if you, if you could write in the margin, uh, in the margin of that first page, right next to the last paragraph, okay, tell your children <laughs> that marriage is between a man and a woman. You have to, <laughs> I don't want to be boring you, but you have to say that, okay? It's between a man and a woman. In the class, they said, they're gonna, by the time they finish with me, they're going to hear that 20 times. I don't care if they're getting tired of me. They're going to hear it. Because in the school, they're going to be hearing the opposite. I'm going to keep, like, like a, I'm going to be hammering that into their heads. <laughs> and by the time they finish, the Father Brome, he keeps repeating himself, yes, I am. I'm going to make sure that you got clarity. It is between a man and a woman, and man and woman married in the church. So write down, okay, tell, okay, tell your kids, you can't get married just in Las Vegas. All their friends are doing that. Or wedding chapel, that's not good enough. You have to get married in the Catholic Church. Is that clear? If you're just living together, you're living in sin. You have to get married in the Catholic Church. So, when you're talking with your kids, mention that. See, we have to work together. You have to work with me. So, we're supporting each other, okay? Those two things. When we were kids, you didn't have to say it because our society was Judeo-Christian and the values were much, the life was much more stable 60 years ago. But your kids are being bombarded by so many... You know, you watch Disney, D- Disney um, cartoons. What do you see? Di- I mean, I don't, I, haven't, I don't watch Disney cartoons, but I've heard you've got, you got two women with a little kid there, then you've got two men with a little kid there, and your you're seven or eight-year-old son is watching that, watching already 20 hours. Your little daughter at seven years old is going to believe that Marriage can be, between, can be between two women or two men because she's seen it already 20 hours. So you have to keep, you have to keep swimming against the current, being countercultural, telling them what they're not seeing and not hearing in the school system. And I said this once, I'll say it again. John Paul II uh, wrote a document on... Confession, reconciliation, and penance. And he mentioned a certain terminology I'd never heard before, the institution, institutionalization of sin. You know what that means? It's encrusted even in the institutions. Not just one devil, but you got a legion of devils that are, are built into the structure. And I'll tell you where, they, where this institutionalization of sin is present. 
Three areas. First, in the social media. In the social media. In Hollywood, in the TV, in the internet, in the social liberal media, the, the devil has a stronghold there. Second, and this is no-brainer, in politics. The liberal political arena, the devil is present there. And even more dangerous in academics or education. If you're teaching first grade, you're obliged to already promote the, the trans agenda in the public schools. You see how the, how, how the devil has, in a certain sense, I, I can't see today, like some of your kids want, might want to be teachers. And they may, they may have the gift to be able to teach. You in conscience, could you allow your, okay, your daughter, she's 25, she's got a, her degree, she's got her certification to teach, she's put in a public school where she's forced, she's forced to teach these second graders the transgender agenda. Or, or they, want to, they want to be psychology, become a psychologist. Those two areas, I don't, I don't think in, in conscience, you can promote your children to follow those two disciplines because the devil has a stronghold in that in which they have to promote which is intrinsically evil. So, where is the institutionalization of the enemy? In the mass media, social media, in the politics, as well as in academia. How intelligent the devil is. How intelligent the devil is. Very, very astute. So my homily this morning, or 12 noon, was this. I'll end with this note. You know what the Benedictine option is? That St. Benedict fled Rome because there was corruption. And he went to Subiaco, and I've been there when I was in Italy, and then Monte Cassino. He sought refuge in a cave and then in a monastery. What is the marrying option? We have to seek refuge in the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Amen? Amen. So you have the Benedictine option, but then you have the marrying option. Seek refuge in Mama Mary. Okay? You like that? Seek refuge in Mama Mary. She'll be the one that will help us to get to heaven. So we have a lot of Filipinos here and the Mexicans and you have great love for Mama Mary. Make sure that your children love Mary. Amen? Amen. If you do that, in some way, if we love Mary, she's going to open up the back door. She'll help us to make it to heaven. So consecrate yourself and your children to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. So St. Valentine's Day is Immaculate Heart of Mary Day. So let's seek refuge in two hearts. The heart of Jesus and the heart of Mary. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed the fruit of thy Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and the hour of our death. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Lord be with you. Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God bless you, and you see, we'll follow up on this next week then, okay? See you next week.